Hello, this is Benjamin. Welcome to the Voice of Reason podcast. Today's guests are Paul Vanderclay, a reformed uh, Calvinist minister or minister in the reformed Calvinist denomination in Sacramento or outside of Sacramento, California, and Jonathan Peugeot, who's an icon carver and the host of the symbolic world where he dissects things in very fascinating fashion uh, using mythological substructures to show the undergirding undergirding meaning effective in various different instances of pop culture anyways these both these guys are both like Christian and stuff and so we talk about the apocalypse and walk our way back from there um, talking about the end of times and what that means and possible, um, I don't know about solutions, but possible ways in which meaning can be shared in a constructive manner between society in general, I guess between elements within society, if we can ever get there. Fascinating, excellent discussion. Love these guys. This video will likely be posted on their channels too. So go to their channels or come to me from their channels, whatever you need to do to get this into your head. Links are in the description below. Bon appetit. Um, yeah, well, I guess we're living in the end times, or are we always living in the end times? <laughs> it's the resurrection. Depends, depends the end of what, yeah. But it, for sure, it feels like we're living in, in some kind of end of something. I don't mm. see how that can be avoided at this point. Um, I don't know how big the end is, but it's definitely seems like things are are falling apart in a way that is very, very uh, it's larger than what it has been before. And so I don't know what it leads to, but it's not it's not particularly there's not a lot of hope, it seems right now. At least I don't have a lot of hope, hmm. not in the short term. Hmm. You know, it's it's interesting because we feel that. But if you compare our times to the 19, you know, the Great Depression, the early 30s, um, uh, the, the American Revolution, French and Indian War. I mean, there's the War of 1812. It's, it's very interesting how we sort of feel this, but many people point, well, the economy, even with COVID, you know, we, we don't have large numbers of troops you know we're not in the middle of a war so it's it's very interesting to me why we feel this and why we agree that this is what's happening even though we're not seeing all these other things now maybe these things will come and mm. i think that's part of what we're afraid of but hmm. i agree i totally agree i think that in a way we are living in the most peaceful time you know in the history of the world but at the same time there is this sense, there's a sense of that things are breaking apart in terms of narrative, in terms of identities, in terms of social cohesion. And so I think that anybody who's slight, who's astute can realize that an, unless this is solved, then it's going to at some point lead to to conflict. It's just it's just inevitable how it's going to happen, the manner in which it's going to manifest itself. It's hard to it's hard to fully predict. But the, you can't have a society that isn't has, doesn't have any glue. It, it just doesn't doesn't work. And we tried capitalism, we know, like we tried the idea of consuming. That consuming can be the glue of our society, but that's hmm. not enough. It's definitely not enough. So, but 
I mean, this is something that we've all been staring at for a number of years now, probably more or less in different degrees. Um, the uh, that social underpinning or that glue. I see you guys both strategizing ways to, I guess, restart it or recongeal it. But is that possible anymore? That's the big question. We've all talked about this before. Is it possible for our society to have cohesion in a multicultural manner, uh, in a polytheism manner? And not not classical polytheism, but I'm just yeah. like a bunch of different kinds of conceptions of the end, the beginning, and, and what's going on in the present. I, there are ways of doing it, but it, let's say Rome did it. They definitely did it, but it didn't, it didn't, last, it didn't last forever. It broke down because the way they did it was the way that was the way the 20th century tried to do it, which is a god emperor, right? So if you have a god emperor, then you everybody focuses their worship on the emperor. Then you can worship all kinds of other things. It doesn't bother them as long as you worship the emperor. Then then it's okay. Then we're going to hold together. But yeah, I mean it worked for a few centuries. You know they held it together for a few centuries, although it was kind of careening for a while there. Um, and uh, but then it then it then it broke down. By 20th century uh, representations of that, you're talking about like Stalin and Hitler. You're talking yeah. about big leaders like that. Yeah, the strongman, the strongman idea, and the strongman leader who kind of focuses the attention of everybody and becomes a person into which people <laughs> unite. Let's say. Well, Trump is like that, only the opposite. He's the person in which everybody's focus converges to disunite. Yep. Yeah, well, in that sense, he's a scapegoat. He could be a scapegoat figure. And so if if enough people agreed to hate Donald Trump in the United States, then that that could be a way to unify people. But I don't see that as a very positive thing. Like, I really don't see that. I don't see it happening, first of all. And second of all, I don't think that I don't think that it would lead to good things. I think Jonathan's point in the Kanye video that he just released, that, 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 that video is transformative for me in some ways. Because when Kanye says something like, we all need to unite under God, we hear that in how we understand God to be and how we understand that unity to be is very much set by you know, I think in terms of American memory, Cold War ideas. Hmm. But when you look at what happened with Constantine and the the breakdown of Rome took centuries, but in a way, Rome never broke down. So you have these German princes of Europe calling themselves the Holy Roman Emperor. And of course, historians for a long time said they weren't holy, they weren't Roman, and they weren't really emperors. I think the, and this is where Jonathan's work has been so impactful for me, because he has illuminated these structures that actually served the West for centuries, uh, aspirationally, never quite were able to pull them together, but they are viable structures. 
and and sort of what happens in modernity is we say we don't believe in those structures we only believe in competence and pragmatism and that will be sufficient and i think what we're seeing now is mm. no it isn't and in a certain respect the opposite of the pragmatic and the competent <laughs> Is like kind of coming in to take the place by means of it, it's veiled, it's veiled in the terms of equality and justice, but it's really anti-competence and anti-pragmatic. It doesn't make any sense, and the worst possible people get to the top of it. Right on both the right and the left right now, because Trump is sort of that on the right. He's not competent. Hmm. He's anti-competent, and the left is playing the same game. And so it's it, so then you've got people in the middle. That are saying competence, competence, but in a sense, modernity—that was modernity's call, and modernity is done. The standards are falling. The standards are falling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a. <laughs> I, I, I think that the the problem. I think the difficulty, the the problem with the modernity thing, kind of falling apart is is really the difficulty of inclusion and equality we talked about that i I try to talk about it once in a while is that if you remove hierarchy or you see hierarchy as somewhat negative you know and that's kind of like the scientist scientism fallacy where we we want to get to the lowest level we want to get to the 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 idea of just these phenomena that would be objective then it once you once you remove hierarchy then you try, then you end up, you see it, you, you have to include everything. And that, that's what they're trying to do, like the whole diversity, inclusion, all that stuff. They're trying to include everything. They want everything to be inside. Because as soon as there's an inside and an outside, you have a hierarchy problem. Yeah. And, right. And so then they want, so, they're, so it's, it's almost like an unconscious drive to want to include everything. And, but the problem is to try to include everything equally. And that just doesn't, it just doesn't work. I think we're seeing the limit of that now. They're no longer pretending yeah. to be inclusive. They're now openly going after the, they're, they're now, op- they're no longer including everything. They're inverting everything. They're inverting the hierarchy by saying, you know, white European culture has gone around and, uh, you know, claimed everything, you know, that like Neil deGrasse Tyson, a famous scientist said that right. just the other day, it's like six really? words to define, uh, Western culture. Uh, we came, we saw, we conquered or something like that. It, just the, this conception of this European tradition as completely colonialist and exploitative. Hmm. And it's, that's happening on every level with regards to the ways in which Black Lives Matter, just as a as an image, now needs an inversion where, like, even though you, you go in and, and you uh, argue whether or not all lives matter is, is proper or not, but in practice, it's asking and it's promoting the devaluation or the bowing down of white people, which we saw last month, literally to this, this inverted uh, conceptual hierarchy. We've we've been working at this in a strange way, though, because 30, 20 years ago, we had Barney the dinosaur singing, you are special, you're the only one, you're the only one like you. And so on one hand, we have this radical equality. There's no exclusion at all. At the same time, I myself am special. And your hmm. conversation, Benjamin, with uh, James Lindsay, where he talked about 
you know, the only thing you can't deconstruct is your own oppression. So you both have this radical individuality where my particular my particular oppression is sacred, and mm. that's sort of the Cartesian thing I cannot doubt in the midst of a public declaration that mm. all are in, as Jonathan notes. And, and quite obviously, this can't work. And so it, it, it's not going to go anywhere. It can't. Yeah, but and to, to the point that Benjamin was making, the thing is that there is, this is an image that I've been bringing up more and more, the nakedness of Noah, trying to kind of talk about that. <clears throat> and there is a sin in colonialism. Like there is a, a sin which was hidden. And it was, we're invading your land and we're going to pretend like we're doing it to help you. Um, and it's, they're not the only ones who did it. The Romans did something similar even before Christianity. It was always like a benevolent, we're going to be benevolent dictators. And so that mask is kind of came off with colonialism, decolonization de de and kind of decolonialist approach and post-colonialism and all that stuff. It, the post-colonial attitude, although it has its serious problems because of what it le leads to, the, the basic idea of saying, you know, stop pretending like this was mm -hmm. just for our good. It wasn't. There was there are nefarious things hidden in your agenda. And so those as those are exposed, then we do have we have this like removing of the this exposing the nakedness of, of Noah, let's say, mm -hmm. right? exposing the nakedness of the, the modern project, how it's related to colonialism how it's related even to even to the modern slavery uh, in the U.S. was related to weird enlightenment kind of superiority complex thing. And so it's the, the revelation of that is a is a real one. Now, the problem is, OK, how do we deal with it? Like, how do we now heal that that expo that exposure without destroying everything? And I, I'm not like I don't see I don't see the discussion being had. You know, I, I brought up storytelling before where, you know, when you read the Iliad, for example, there are several ways to read the Iliad. There are ways to read the Iliad in which the Greeks are the heroes or the main characters. And there are ways to read the Iliad in which the, the Trojans are the, are the heroes and the main characters. And you see the Romans took up the position of the Trojans in the Iliad and saw themselves as the descendants of the, of the Trojans. And so... In epic storytelling, there is a manner in which you can have complexity. Like you can have the notion that the characters are doing evil, they're doing good, and the other side is also doing evil and doing good. And so there's a way to tell that story where we can we can inhabit the different characters. And that's like real, real storytelling. Now, the, the difficulty that we're dealing with now is 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 right it's just we see the evil of our fathers like i said we see the evil of the the european fathers and now we want to destroy everything but the thing is that those who are doing the destroying also have their own evils that they're hiding they also have their their own nakedness which they are are hiding as they're attacking the other mm -hmm. and so it's, it's always just a question of time before that comes out yeah um i wish there would wait like I, one thing i re mentioned recently is there could be a way to reinterpret, for example, Far West like uh, mythology, like the U.S. Far West mythology, 
in a way that would have an epic, uh, an epic version of that, right? Which would have the capacity to show the evils done by the the colon the colonizer, you know, and then the evils done by the other side as well to show the the two sides as having heroes and villains. Mm-hmm. I mean, there could be ways to do that to kind of try to heal these rifts, but I'm not sure that it's possible anymore. Hmm. Well, it, we're also in the case that every African-American is the descendant of slave owner and slave. Almost every Native American is the descendant, the physical descendant of colonizer and colonized. I mean, we're very quickly a mixed multitude, yet the identity element that gets salient is obviously instrumental in the way a particular narrative is promoted yeah. and then the demands made by that narrative upon the public. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there are places, you know, the thing is that there are places where the, the real healing can happen and I'm seeing them happen. It's just that they're not happening. They're happening in the private sphere. They're happening in people's lives. They're happening as people do the work to kind of integrate those two things. I have a, one of a very like one of my best friends when I was a, a young man and when I was 14, 15, I met him at a camp and we had this amazing connection together and he's half black, um, half white. And he's the descendants of massive slaveholders, like horrible, horrible slaveholders. And he's also a descendant of slaves at the same time. And uh, I'm watching him like I'm, we're having a lot of discussion. We're talking, we're exchanging and I'm watching him try to do the work in himself Mm. to reconcile the, the the evils of his own past, like identifying with the slaveholder in him, and at the same time, understanding the difficulty of being identified as a black man in America, because, you know, he looks black, like he, in terms of the cultural markers, the, the kind of simple cultural markers we have, like if you saw him, you could see that he's not, he's not a white guy. Mm-hmm. And so he's working, I can see him, he's struggling, and he's working on that in himself, um, and it's powerful to watch happen. But it's it's something which is happening in the heart of a person. And I mean, I, I it's the kind of thing where you say the waves of that will 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 unfurl like they will. There will be waves of that amazing work being done. But it I don't know how fast like I don't know how fast that needs to happen. You know, mm-hmm. is there I guess one thing that is the problem of, of modernity and ergo postmodernity is that trying to find that glue between multiple different narratives. Is there one narrative structure, an epic structure that can facilitate the constellation and conflict and then the harmonization and resolution of all these different identities and all these different histories and all these different traditions, right? That, that respects and upholds them all, but somehow converges them on on a greater good like in one respect christianity did that for the west but can it do that for everything can it keep on getting wider and wider and wider without collapsing in this like completely equal plane right as far as the pyramid structure yeah well i think in terms of story i think the story of christ he can't beat it he just can't beat that story in terms of its capacity to reconcile as let's say as christians especially you know when you go to church for example you you have to like especially in a, in a traditional church you really have to understand that the priest is the representative of christ 
for you, let's say. He manifests Christ to you, but he's also the one who's operating the sacrifice in the Holy of Holies. And so he is both the killer of Christ and also manifesting Christ. Hmm. And so he is this image of, he, he, he is showing us the mystery of Christianity and how this notion that the, the, the killer and the victim can be reunited in a way that it, it, it is totally possible. And you see it in the story of Christianity. St. Paul is a version of that. Like you see in the story of St. Paul how it's, a, it's one image of how the persecutor joined with his victim and then created something amazing and, hmm. you know, became a light to the, to, to, the, to the Gentiles because he was able to unite those two identities together. And what's um, what's so, the key? What's the key that facilitates the uh, redemption of the victor and the uh, I guess the salvation of the victim from that bind? What, what's the key concept or the core of that uh, change? Well, I, the, the idea is self-sacrifice. Like that's the key. That's the key. The idea is instead of doing it in others, you do it in yourself. And then if you do that, then you become a healing mechanism for 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 the world that's what i think anyways it it always it always i always pondered the fact that in the book of acts you have paul holding the cloaks of the stoners of stephen and the heavens open and, and stephen seeing the lord and all of that guess who doesn't appear to paul at that moment but Paul goes on this rampage, hunting and killing the followers of Jesus, and then it's on the road to Damascus. And I would imagine the families of the victims of Paul between Stephen and the road to Damascus saying to God, now, would it have been so hard to, you know, strike him Mm. there next to Stephen? You know, you you could have done it all in one trip, okay? (laughs) But, But no, you wait and but but that's not you know that's intentional and i think that's exactly what jonathan said in terms of paul had to manifest yeah the killer and the tyrant and the colonizer before he could manifest christ could we could we push this a little further and um ask if if the left needs to, uh, I'm speaking in American terms. If the less left needs to manifest Antifa before they can manifest, you know, their their <laughs> utopia, you know, <laughs> do they have to go on a burning, pillaging rampage before they get to a point where they can actually do what they're proposing? I, I think it's I think it's possible that this needs to happen. I always quote the same quote from Christ, which is. You know, scandal must happen, but woe to those by whom it happens. It's, it's, I think that it's possible that we need to go through this in order to come out on the other side. But I, I don't justify the acts of those that are doing it. And I don't think that I don't think the same even with St. Paul. I wouldn't say that St. Paul was right in doing what he was doing. I'm not saying. But, but I can admit that for him to have become what he became, he had to go through that. Okay. And Ananias. So, you know, the drama gets played out. So, of course, why did God have to strike him blind and then call one of his potential victims and say, go find Paul on straight street and pray for him? And then Ananias says, (laughs) you're asking the lamb to minister to the lion. Hmm. (laughs) 
And, and then the words of the Spirit to Ananias are key. I will show him how much he has to suffer. And so that suffering of Paul is, and that ongoing suffering, you know, the thorn in the flesh, I mean, yeah. the whole story of Paul, it's all in there. Hmm. So there's no, there's no cap, there's no, uh, I guess, release from suffering then. that That's kind of a, there's an embracing of it and then a constellation of that suffering into the mechanisms of what drove Paul through the rest of his life then. Well, for sure. And Christianity, you know, and I say this as a full hypocrite, like a, a total hypocrite when I say this, but I mean, for sure in Christianity, there is the idea that it, we don't, it's not that we are absolved of suffering, but it's that suffering can be transformed into glory. That tra- that suffering can be a portal to something which is, which makes, which transcends. Um, hmm. And it's not to say that suffering in itself is good and not like a masochist or something, yeah. but it's mostly to understand that it's the, it's the transformation of suffering into meaning. It's a good way to, 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 to say it, um, which is kind of the hmm. glorification of suffering. Yeah. And, and nowhere right in the Lord's prayer, um, we're, we're invited to ask for, that we not suffer, deliver us from evil, um, do not lead us into the time of testing. Nowhere in Christianity are we told to seek suffering in and of itself, um, but we're always told it is inevitable. It will yeah. come. And when it comes, this is how, you know, this is how you go into it. There's this script that's being run right now, and it, it's loosely affiliated under the umbrella of anti-racism. But if you see how um, certain portions of our society are internalizing that, what it actually does is like a mind virus that causes you to see racism everywhere. And I'm, I wrote, I found a uh, advice column where this young girl writes in to this uh, advisor and she's like, you know, I'm, my boyfriend's not posting enough about Black Lives Matter. He, he protests every day, but he's really not doing the work. And I went and I saw all of his friends aren't posting enough. And I just, I don't know if I, what should I do about like, you know, making them do this thing. And the, the advice columnist was like, turned it again back on her. It's this involu- this constant involution of and it seems like a broken Christianity. A lot of the elements that I see in the left are a, are a hobbled form of of uh, you know mechanisms within the church, but they're not they, they they're kind of broken loose, and then they just yeah. spin off on their own. Oh yeah, that's exactly what it is. And you know, I, I am probably going to make a video about this soon, but I can give you a hint of what I'm going to say, which is that that. In the in the Bible, there's a warning about all these things. Like in in Scripture, in the New Testament, all of these patterns are are played out in a way to help us see what's going to happen. And so, for example, so Christ talks about the on the Sermon on the Mount. You know, Christ talks about the poor and about helping. You know, about the 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 spe- this special role that those who suffer, that those who are persecuted, that those all of that the special role that they play, and. And so the left, that's what they have. That's, that's all, that's the, 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 let's say, liberal Christianity and the left, they've taken that aspect of Christ and they've ran with it. And they said, this is Christianity. And, or not, even if they're secular, like, this is it. This is the main thing. Mm-hmm. And the value of what Christ said in those moments is absolutely true. And the things that Christ said are absolutely true. But you always have to see the story, the full story. And so... 
there's another part in scripture and Christ has very few uh, interaction with Judas. Like there are very few, but those that he has are key to understanding his interactions. Hmm. And the one interaction that he has is when a woman comes to wash his feet with perfume. So she takes this expensive perfume and she washes his feet. And so it is, it's an act of worship. She's worshiping Christ. And Judas's answer is, he says, we should have given that money to the poor. But he wasn't really thinking that. He was thinking, we should give that money to the poor. I want that money for myself. Hmm. Like it, it, was a, it, was a, it was a duplicitous act. It was a way to attract attention, things onto himself, right? Hmm. Um, and that's hmm. when Christ like, gets angry with them and says, you know, you, you'll always have the poor, but the, the Son of Man, you know, he won't be with you for very long. And so he's, he's setting up the hierarchy. He's saying, of course you have to care for the poor. Of course you have to, but you have to do it in the right order. You can't, it can't just be that. Mm. Worship comes first. Then from the worship, if you don't want the helping the poor to become a self-serving kind of uh, perverted act, then, then you have to have worship first. You have, to, you have to look up first and then look down and help others. But if you just do the look down, it's going to become disturbing and it's going to become an inversion. And that's, I think that's what we're seeing now. Or if the act of looking up is looking upon your own mightiness or <clears throat> your own yeah, virtue in a way. Right. <clears throat> but you have to look up beyond you, like in, in that sense. And so I think that in that story, you really do, you really do have this image of the anger of Christ at things just not being in their right place. Because if you just took that story, you could just isolate that and say, well, here's Christ saying, you know, you shouldn't you shouldn't help the poor. But of course, that's not what he's saying, yeah. because in other places, he will say that he'll say that abundantly. In the in the contemporary government helping culture. So my whole life, my father's ministry, my ministry has always been lived in the context of of communities where there is massive government effort to help the poor. For the most part, when you have government efforts to help the poor, do you know where most of the money goes? It goes to the people who are managing the poverty programs, yep. which are all the nice people with, you know, with social work degrees who are working in all of the government agencies. In a sense, it's all Judas. This money should go to help the poor. Oh, you yeah. mean so it would go into your purse, Judas? <laughs> because that's, in a sense, where government money really goes when we help the poor. And again, I'm not dissing any of these programs. Many of these programs are helpful and vital and all of that. But if yeah. you look at, well, the cost of running the program goes to all of the people with nice masters and social work degrees and the entire hierarchy. And again, you know, that that gets into the diet. I watched both of your videos quite a bit. And uh, Benjamin, your video with uh, your second video with James Lindsay, where you talked about how in some ways this entire narrative sets up the. Well, the middle class job security for a certain class of people mm -hmm. and the poor themselves. And that's my frustration, having worked in places of poverty generationally in the United States, the, the poverty doesn't change. The poor are being helped a little bit, but it's this entire mm. Judas purse mechanism yeah, yeah. that <laughs> gets funded by the government on the lips of, oh, we've got to help the poor. So that story plays itself out as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay, to bring it back just a little bit, you, you mentioned worship. So I want 
this this is a really difficult concept for us to conceptualize. And all of your language, both of your languages, it's always pointing outside of language. You guys are always pointing out. You're even literally pointing out of the screen. Like it's like mm. something like how do we conceptualize this right now? Or how would you uh, facilitate the conceptualization of that for people who don't have the structure of a religious background to draw upon? Like how, how do you go about like understanding? Well, that? it's 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 pretty simple. It's like you you need. You always celebrate. If you don't like, let's use the word celebrate. It's an easier word to understand than worship because people, obviously worship, <laughs> worship is more than just celebration. But because worship is maybe difficult for people to understand, let's say celebrate. So we, we always celebrate the thing that binds us, right? We'll, we'll, we, we just will. It just will happen. And, you know, and then what happens is you have competing things to celebrate, and so right now we are asked us, we are being asked, let's say in the past few years, that the one thing that you really, really have to celebrate is, for example, pride. And everybody celebrates pride. Like all the corporations, you know, they'll change their logo, they'll 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 change, you know, and so it's and so there is there's a worship happening. We 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 create uh objects we create events where we sing songs where we gather together in the name of something you know all of that is the notion of celebrating or worshiping in a in a small w let's say venerating let's use the word venerating okay and so and we venerate the those who are markers of the of what we what binds us so we have the right to venerate certain figures let's say for example someone who Pretty much everybody can still venerate right now is Martin Luther King. Everybody can venerate Martin Luther King, right? And then there's yeah, there's some know, argument on that. On the also, ha he all he has he has nakedness too. Everybody has yeah. nakedness. He has a dark he has a darkness in his hidden darkness as well. But there, let's say we could, there are some figures that yeah. or and then there's people that are fighting for us to venerate certain figures that manifest that thing. You know, like so let's say. Harvey Milk, you know, I've seen I've seen icons of Harvey Milk being made or different characters, right? And so that's so everybody understands that because we all do it. Now the problem is that if you if you if you stop your celebration at a small G God, right, then that's when you have the fight, right? That's when you have the massive fights because the different principalities, the different gods are fighting amongst each other. So who are you going, what is going to be, who are going to be the leading, the leading values, the leading things, the leading uh, concepts that are going to unite us or, so then you end up, that's what you end up happening. So yeah. the idea is the, the, the religious people, the Christians, the Jews, and yes, you know, the Muslims or the Zoroastrians or the, even the Neoplatonists, we, the, the revelation that slowly kind of came down was that if we, the higher we make it, we, if, we, if we're able to actually bring it up into the highest, right, that we celebrate the highest thing which transcends everything, mm -hmm. then what it's going to do is it's going to moderate all the principalities below. It's going to make them mm -hmm. less prone to fighting amongst each other. Mm -hmm. And so let's say in Christianity we say it's love. It's love. Love is, yeah. God is love. God is the manner in which things exist together and apart at the same time. Yeah. That's, he is the, the principle by which things exist together and apart at the same time. 
So he's the, he's the principle of unity and multiplicity. And so we have the Trinity, we have all these images, the duality of the nature of Christ, all these images to help us participate in that one and many, infinite one and many. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so that's what worship is. Worship is celebrating the highest. And so in terms of in terms of religious worship, then it, it has specific ways we do it. We we sing, we recite, we pray, we it most of the time it has to do with vocalizing mm-hmm. by saying things or singing things, you know, through logos to participate. But there's also bowing, kneeling, making yourself low. There's a, and then there, then there's also loving others. Like by loving others, you are, you are also worshiping because you are embodying the love that is supposed to be, that you're manifesting the love of God. So when I say that, like you're manifesting the love of God, it just sounds like something that doesn't mean anything, but it, it, it's really is, it really is a pattern of reality. It's not just a, it's not just a, a, a sentimental statement. I just I want to Make that makes one, sense to a secular, like a secular person. I want to make one quick footnote that people can visualize what you're talking about, because the pride flag was a rainbow that meant diversity. But now there's these new iterations of the pride flag that are being compacted by all these other identities. And it's just becoming this really ugly, like war zone, like this flag is just becoming this is being torn apart on an aesthetic level because they lo- th- that unity has been now lost by all these yeah. minor principalities or identities. That's because the way to understand the rainbow is to understand it as a, a circumzenital art. Like if you look at the sun and there's a rainbow around the sun, that's the symbolism of the rainbow. The rainbow is a, is a periphery and the sun is in the middle. If you don't have the sun, you don't have a rainbow. If you don't have white light, you don't have a rainbow. If you, need the, you, need, you need the center for the periphery to even have any sense, to have any, make any sense. So you one and many, you need both. And, and I think the conceptual, you know, J- Benjamin, you said conceptualization. I think it's, it's not that people need to conceptualize, people need to practice it. And in a, hmm. in a healthy liturgical diet, you have all of the elements of, manifest, of the manifestations. And it's not so much, I mean, this is part of the sin of Protestantism, is that well, if I can conceptualize it, then I can master it and I can wield it. No, it's always service. That's what that's you know that's worship. You know, worship is in a sense service. And what happens? What you do in church in the liturgy is that you go through all of the movements of this. Somebody pointed out to me yesterday that the the one element of of Protestant liturgy that has been eliminated over the last 50, 70 years has been confession. If you go to a Protestant church with acrobats and smoke machines, <laughs> the, the one element you won't have that has been taken out is confession. Is that the similar to testimony, like, like the testimonial? Kind of no, the, no. The te- testimony confession is is the part of the liturgy where we where we say it's not the colonizers, it's not the racists, it's not the killers of Christ who are responsible for the sin of the world. It's me, and so that has come hmm. out of Christian liturgy in the Protestant Church. Now we see it manifest in the street enormously, and it's and it's like. 
the the hmm. elements of liturgy will not be denied. And so if you fail to practice them within the the confines, now I sound terribly, you know, orthodox here. Yeah. If you fail to practice them within the confines of the properly structured universe, which is what an orthodox church is in terms of the architecture and everything, if you fail to practice them inside, they will leak out and you will, in a sense, you will have to fulfill the prophecy, but mm-hmm. in a far more okay. destructive way. And in that yeah. sense, un- the church unruly. is a containment unit. Yeah. Okay. Um, I made this uh, observation last year um, just because being on Twitter, you just you're assaulted constantly by, you know, the hashtags. And I I noticed that like our society is slowly going back to Catholicism. But instead of having a patron saint for a day, we have a patron identity. You have this month is given to this identity, this day to that identity. This do you think that uh, we're headed in a trajectory where we'll just reboot orthodoxy? with this kind of identity uh, element to it, where all, like I was saying earlier, where all these different traditions, all these different histories have their own proper place, and they are all unified and equalized across the a calendar year. Do you think that that will... think it's going to happen? No, I don't think it's going to happen. No. Okay. No. Well, there are many reasons why it's not going to happen. One is that we we also, we don't celebrate ideas we we celebrate people right and we celebrate events and we celebrate people but we don't celebrate ideas no one cares about and that it, stuff. identity is an idea is that what you're saying an identity is no yeah idea. yeah and you see it's like earth day who really celebrates earth day i mean no one really <laughs> celebrates earth day it's not it's not it's like 420 bro yeah <laughs> but it's the same like the only reason why for example some of the modern some of the modern holidays that have taken off for example, like Mother's Day and Father's Day, the only reason why we celebrate them is because you have to celebrate your mother and your father. Okay. And so that works. But when it's like it's like Day of Racial Equality Day, let's say I don't know, you, I don't know, like whatever name of a day you come up with, you know, it's like help the, you know, help help the the the, the orphans day. It's like no one celebrates those things. And of course, you have to help the orphans. I'm not saying you shouldn't help the orphans. I'm okay. just saying that. The way that the modern world can see, and, and it's it is it, it's a part of the partly the scientism problem, partly the kind of secularist pro- problem, where it's that we are communities of people. Love happens between people. Yeah, Lo- we're connected to events in history, and we're connected to people, and that's how we cohere. And so we celebrate saints, we celebrate God. Ultimately, we celebrate Christ, who is the the place where those two things come together. You know, we celebrate stories. But we we keep trying to celebrate identities and celebrate it's not it's not and but it's that, weird like it's weird to have they're pushing like, that though like yeah. like day of this remembrance day of this thing and it's being pushed by the corporate zeitgeist oh, yeah. and then the identitarians get on board with it and they push their thing so but it's it's a scary thing because you know you have let's where say, is it broken then what well, at what point it's broken because what happens when you have white month. That's where it's broken. Well, every month is White it, Month if if these people are to be believed, right? Yeah, because they the white people invented the calendar and time is on I, their side. So, I, so I'm being so, facetious, but actually that's what's in the literature. So yeah, that's what that's what they'll say. But then at some point, someone is actually going to come up with that. If that movement gets bigger and bigger, then at some point, someone's going to have to come up with that. Is going to have to. And have why is that not tenable? Why is that man, not tenable? Because you don't want that. It's not gonna. 
this is the pro- there's a meme going around which is really a scary meme and it's a it's a meme where there's a let's say a kind of black lives activist who's usually white and then there's a nazi who's yeah. white and they're both saying the same thing they're saying white people have privilege you know it's sinful to deny that white yeah. people have this and that and it's like that's some scary stuff okay so I, I understand why it's scary on a visceral level because of, let's just say, let's just put it into the Nazi box, box right? Like there's this Nazi box over there. Like there's that nakedness of uh, a certain strain of Western reality that, that we have to be aware of and that it's wise to be wary of. But why in beyond that, why is that um, why is it problematic that white people are being asked to assume guilt and to carry around their privilege and to be reduced into this identity? Like what what is it? There, there's an aspect of, uh, you know, um, of Christianity that does have that kind of flo- self flogging stuff gone wrong. Why could you tie that together? Could you guys make well, because it's only one it's only one group that's asked to do that. Right. If, if in Christianity, everybody is the lowest of sinners, like you're supposed to see yourself as the as the lowest of sinner and ask forgiveness. And, you know, I get emails all the time from monastics who end their letter with, please forgive me, the yeah. lowest of sinners, you know. Yeah. And so there's a sense where you have to do the work inside you. But, you know, let's say let's say we watch the this strange thing that happened when. When we saw the the washing of the feet, right, and you saw a bunch of white people walk washing the feet of of the leader of the protest, let's say, and it's like, what if then the what if that could that happen the other way? I don't know. Could it? Would it be a scandal? I don't know. It's very odd. It just ends up being very scary. It's yeah. a scary space to enter. There was there was a video that surfaced just before that where the white people were kneeling and praying for forgiveness from the black people and then the black people they did equalize that and it was a yeah. communal thing but it was still pretty shocking for that symbolism to all of a sudden intrude into this rather secular movement or this rather yeah. if that's such a thing like uh, that black lives matter uh, political movement and there is like there is a way in which you know, in the in the Bible, it says in Proverbs, it says to bow to bow down to your, on your face if you're going to ask forgiveness of someone. As if anybody does that anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is this sense that you need to do that, but it's weird to do that because of your identity. Man, it's just weird. It's just scary. I don't know. I just find it very scary. Like to 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 apologize for my sins that I that I see and I recognize, and to 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 ask forgiveness for that is one thing. But to like bow down for my ancestors' sins or for like a systemic sin that is part of my identity, I just don't see I just don't see how that can lead to anywhere good. Because some people are gonna bow down and then some people are gonna clamp down. Hmm. <laughs> right? Well, I I think that, that video you did, Ben, of the of the New York City education group was telling. Because the, you know, you that one, city council where one woman is right. well, several women are flogging one male for bouncing a brown baby on his white lap. Right. Yeah. And and the you know, the 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 litany is you have to do the work. OK, now, again, in a Christian context, yes, you have to do the work. 
But anybody who's actually doing the work understands how hard the work is. And with this universalization, which is rehearsed and practiced within the church of I am the sinner, um, you, you begin to realize that part of your finger pointing is your failure to do your own work. And that's why you have this interesting dynamic among saints where like someone like saint francis that he's there's a figure that many today would look at and say well saint francis was a holy man saint francis and many saints like him were intensely aware of their own sin and that intense awareness gave them a humility and gentleness with people who were far greater sinners than they themselves Mm. And that then had power Mm. because people don't respond well to accusation. They sometimes will respond well to love. And so in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Peter pulls the sword and chops off the, the ear of the servant of the high priest... You know, Jesus heals it, and in a sense, Jesus says to everyone in the garden, if anyone's blood is going to be shed here, it will be mine. And, you know, this is after the Gospel of John, where Jesus, you know, who, you know, I am he, and everybody falls back in the Gospel of John, which is this moment of just enormous enormous revelation of power Mm -hmm. this is the power of of stilling the storm and raising the dead and healing the sick that everyone had manifest and if if jesus has that kind of power a little squad of temple guard are no big deal for someone with that kind of power to manage but yet jesus at that moment says and and that's exactly what you don't see in that interchange with everybody piling on of that guy do the work and it's like well if you understand what the work is Mm. This angry posture of finger pointing is antithetical to the work of embracing yourself as a colonizer and as a racist. Who are you racist to call out the other racist? Mm -hmm. If you actually are more fully aware of your racism Mm -hmm. than what you see manifest in this one person bouncing a brown baby on his lap. Hmm. You know what? There's a, there's a shadow version of what we're seeing. Um, where these identities are broken apart and so they're all the identities are fighting but there's this inverse of that of you know is racism a big enough sin to contain all the other sins and it seems like racism as a sin is too small of a box for and they're trying to shove all this stuff in there so they're like well there's phobia there's this kind of phobia that kind of phobia like okay we have all these different boxes it seems like the not only the the heavens are broken but but hell is broken too and all these different <laughs> you know competing uh you know, aspirations and identities and, and negativities. I agree. I, I don't think, I think that the idea that the last, the only value possible is inclusion. I don't think that that's a, I don't think that's a way to, for reality to exist. It's a very strange, it's a, it's a very, it's a, it's a value that has to be moderated with other, with other values. And yeah. you can't just have that one value, especially uh, just because, like I said, it just, the world just doesn't it just doesn't work that way um you know the best way is to the best way is to have a sense of of who you are at different levels and different groups different because we we're, all, we're not just one thing and we're all several identities we all have different 
different groups and identities that we identify with. The, the best way for me to, is to understand where you are, who you are, which identities are manifested in you. And then in understanding that, then be able to love those that are outside, like to, to love the stranger in every way that that's real for you. You know, it's not only in terms of race or in terms of nation, it's also in terms of your house and in terms of the people outside in the street. You know, the notion that you need to love the stranger um, and love doesn't just mean doesn't just mean absolute inclusion. It doesn't doesn't mean that. Right? It's not true that I'm meant to include all the strangers into my house. It just just doesn't work. It's just not going to happen. Hmm. And so and so there needs to be a, there needs to be moderation you know, compassion and judgment. There needs to be the left mm. and the right hand, this this coming, pulling closer, keeping away, all of this stuff, this kind of breathing in and out of, of yeah. identities is, yeah. is, a, is the normal way to go. Yeah. It, that, that evokes the image of the amount of polarization. You know, there's these charts that show like how, like in the United States Congress, like how, how close people are over, over the decades and, and the, or how close they work together or the connections and and it's just getting back uh separated and separate and separated and i think that's happening on that level of a legislative level but also in the values that we go back and forth between like build the wall and then tear down the wall you know free health care for everybody and and no immigration reform you know like like these totally income like these values are so extreme that they don't actually work. They they yeah. don't actually work. If if you just listened what the left wants to do, and if just what the right wants to do, like they they need each other, and there's a brokenness between those two aspects. Uh, it seems like. Yeah, and it, but it, it's kind of it is interesting to notice if you actually listen to the things that are being said. Is you know this is something that I've been people have tried in me recently. They said, look at what uh, most of the right-leaning people are saying. And there is no one saying just us. Like, no one is saying that. And th- there are very few people saying that. And so it, it's actually, it's like it's like the whole pendulum is being pulled yeah. on one side. And whatever is on the, the, the other side of where the extreme is, that's the, the, an extreme. So yeah. the idea that you need to have some kind of, just the idea of a border, that you need to have a border, you need to have some kind of process to to vet uh, immigrants, all of a sudden that's racist in itself. It's like, man, that, that is a very reasonable proposition. Now we're not Nazis here. We're just saying, okay, you need to make sure that people that like, just like your house, you know, you need to make sure the people come into your house are not going to come into, they're not the bad people. There are good people and bad people out there, but you don't know them. So you need to get to know them before you let them in. Right. Hmm. Um, and so anyway, so, so that's difficult because, as we're being pulled in one direction, it's as if the reasonable, the reasonable ones that are trying to find a middle ground are getting smashed because they're being treated as if they're extreme. But I don't think that that a lot of the discourse is extreme. Yeah. Like at least when you see, I mean, I think Benjamin, you've been, you've been kind of on that, on that path where you've noticed that you know you, so you have a uh, Brett Weinstein who is actually very liberal. But it's somehow seen as a fa- fascist Nazi, and and that's just someone like Joe Rogan or all these characters are yeah. not at all, yeah, like hard right at all, yeah. And so I, I don't I don't see an easy solution to that. 
you can't you can't say the middle like you can't also go into the middle you can't say well i'm going to be in the middle between these two extremes but it's like no there's i don't see the other as an extreme so i don't know how to yeah. find the middle between the two yeah it's it's ironic that we're having this this conversation where everyone complicit in the current system is a white supremacist when three or four years ago there was a survey done finding that people today were more open to having their son or daughter marry someone of a different race than they would be of the opposite political party. And so you really have to ask yourself, well, what polarities are we actually working out here? Is it really race? Hmm. And, you know, as, as, as Jonathan noted, Barack Obama, when you look at, in many ways, the policies of, of Barack Obama as compared to George W. Bush, it was very much continuation, the immigration policy, many of these policies. And you basically are functionally labeling Barack Obama a white supremacist. Mm -hmm. And it's just insane. It's just insane. Mm -hmm. But it, it's uh, it's addictive. Yeah. Yeah. It's self-righteous. Sure. Oh, that hmm. Paul, that article you sent about the Internet of Beefs is just was just amazing. I was so happy. Paul said this, it was an article called The Internet of Beefs, and it's all about how Internet culture, fa you know, favors these beefs between people and these personal beefs, almost like a like a kind of this image of a feudal, these feudal war warlords that are okay. that are beefing and have their they call them knights and mooks. And, and the language was great. Also, because it gave me words for for things that I could see happening, <laughs> the idea that some people will act as like vassals to knights and fight for them you know and 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 then they fight each other and then the knights are on top and they kind of fight each other as well um and in the end it's all for attention it's 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 really more about attention than it is about actually solving the problem mm -hmm. and a cheap form of attention i would argue like, yeah but it, it, it also ends up being money like it's not just not just attention yeah. there's also an economic aspect to it at least on the internet you know uh, you see that quite a bit. So earlier in the conversation towards the beginning, you brought up, Jonathan, about the proposition of modernity was specialty. And then the proposition of, you know, the 90s on was specialness, right? And how, you know, you don't worry about your competency, worry about, I, I guess, just produce yourself, like, produce yourself and exploit yourself. And there's actually a pretty uh, fascinating uh, actual survey or study done about the ways in which moral grandstanding, like it facilitates certain personality traits and narcissistic sociopaths mm -hmm. will will benefit from a system that, you know, surprise, surprise, uh, if you can prove that you're a victim, then you're going to get to the top of the hierarchy, which is exactly what you see in absurdist detail with the Evergreen State College. Mm. What is the what is the solution? What's the next step then? If, if it's not if we can't rely on specialty alone or competency alone and uh, specialness is uh, actually pretty toxic gone wrong. I mean, you need to have self-esteem, you need to have pride, but we're going, we're going at it the wrong way. And it's it, when, when you put on the social pressure, those values actually collapse or cause really strange phenomenon, not only the rioting in the street, but at least in democratic uh, ruled uh, areas, like just the, 
the the bowing down to these mobs and then the restraining of authority to allow these mobs to do this thing and and like this really messed up loss of of actual direction and authority like uh, what is the what is the proposition like what is the what is the value like we we talked about worship we talked about a higher um kind of modus but is there a you know like what where do we go from here if Consumerism. Well, I don't know. I don't know where we go from here, but I, I can tell you what I think. That I mean, I think the solution is hierarchy, is hierarchy, but real hierarchy. Like I, I, I know when I say based that, based on what? Can... Well, it depends at what level. Okay, it depends yeah. in what field. Like each field has their hierarchy. You know, there's a, there is a hierarchy of authority in terms of the state for sure, and there is a hierarchy of competence in different fields like there are hierarchies of competence in different fields and there are hierarchies of authority also in your family there are hierarchies of you know there are different different types of hierarchies yeah at different in different fields so and I there's think even that, hierarchies of vulnerability or of oppression like this group needs more attention than this other group like there's a right. hierarchy well, there. Oh, yeah okay. the, the, there is yeah in that sense in the sense that you need to, and you need to you need to prioritize certain things but i think that when I say hierarchy, I really mean it in a Christian sense. I really mean it in a balanced sense where there has to be, in order for a real hierarchy to function, there has to be care and love coming from above, and there has to be support coming from below and trust coming from below. Hmm. Um, and when that breaks down, then that's okay. when you end up having extremes which start to manifest themselves, you know. And you can see it, like, okay. if you look at the French Revolution, there's a good, you can see it there happening, and it's far away from us that you can talk about it without being controversial, where the nobility, because of technology, because of all these different things, the nobility stopped being connected to the, to their, to their, their, their serfs, stopped being connected to the land, went to Paris, let their land, you know, just let, let their land alone. Things were being managed over there. They went to Paris. They did their thing. They just went to balls. And, and there was just a disconnected elite that didn't feel like it was their responsibility to care for the needs of the people that were under them. And that fomented revolt. Now, I don't, I'm not justifying the revolt, but it did. And, and it's normal for someone whose parent doesn't care for them to want to rebel against your parents, mm-hmm. right? And, 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 and so that's then when that starts to happen, when you can't trust the, your authorities, then you have this fomenting on the, at the bottom. And the tendency, the, 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 the tendency is to try to clamp down on the authority side, right? And you can imagine in a family, right? The parent doesn't care for their kids. The kids is going wild and going crazy. So finally the parent says, okay, well, that's it now. I'm going to put my foot down. And from now on, things are going to go this way. And it's like, well, it's too late now, my friend. It's too yeah. late. Well, they're not doing that. That's the weird phenomena. Like in, oh, it's, uh, it's, in it's, Portland, it's they're come. allowing the Antifa to yeah. like Benjamin, raid police things. It's going to come. It's just a question of time. Oh, it's okay. inevitable. The pendulum cannot go indefinitely in one side. It's going to happen. It, that... The same thing was going on in 19, 1920s Germany. The same thing happened before the Spanish Civil War, and things at some point flip. And so this is what people don't understand, is the pendulum never just goes in one direction. And so right now people are like, okay, you know, it's okay, it's okay, but I, I, if the protests and this type of behavior goes into the suburbs, goes into the suburbs massively, 
people are going to freak out and are going it's something to, it's one thing to watch it on television yeah. and to watch it on the internet and on YouTube and it's another thing to see it outside of your door I think at some point people are going to ask for for a clampdown it just it might take a little while but it it's hmm. things don't calm down it's going to it's going to come the other direction Napoleon followed the French Revolution. That's right. Yeah, they beheaded the king and elected an emperor. <laughs> they did really good there. But it's, 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 it, they had the same thing happened in Russia. You know, Stalin came after the revolution. And it's just that's just how that's just the dangerous path of this type of, of dynamic. And have we seen are there precedents for that slowing down or for a concession of some sort, some sort of soft, uh, soft, hard ruler kind of thing. I mean, it's hard to know because the rulers always write the, uh, yeah. Right. The history. But Augustus is seen. Caesar Augustus is seen as that. Like Caesar Augustus is seen as someone who came in after the chaos, uh, caused by Julius Caesar. Cause Julius Caesar was a revolutionary. People always forget that he really was a revolutionary. And then Augustus came in and, he both was the most powerful person in the empire, and then he renounced all his power. Officially. Mm-hmm. Unofficially, he remained the most powerful person in the empire, but officially he renounced all his power. So he played that he played a game where he was able to at, at once, on the one hand, not have any form of official authority, and on the other hand, kind of hold autoritas in a kind of influence, be the most influential person in Rome. And then he was able to stabilize the empire. Sounds like a a deep state wet dream. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Well, look at, look at Putin too. I mean, Putin similarly, Hmm. After, you know, the breakdown, you had Yeltsin and then finally Putin, former KGB agent, you know, look at look at China. I mean, the chairman is now chairman for life. I mean, there's a Mm -hmm. there's a pattern to this. And and I think in many ways, the United States dodged this in the 30s because of the Second World War. It it sort of forced the United States into a different role. Mm. And then, of course, you have the triumph of the Western powers. Then we have the Cold War. That also disciplined and forced the United States into a different role. Okay. But at the end of the at the end of the Cold War, which is really between eighty nine and two thousand one, that's a transition period. Um, now it's a very dangerous point for the United States because we are the empire. Mm. And we you know, we we'll, lack discipline, and we're not even disciplining ourselves. Right, right. And there's no outside force to discipline us. Now that might become China. Um, you know, we don't. You know, COVID is now going through. But this is a very dangerous. I mean, that when I listen to Brett Weinstein, I mean, I think he is right in that this is a very dangerous place for the United States right now, and for the world because of it. Yeah, I, I have to admit that I'm not like. A, I am not. I'm, I'm sort of a royalist. Like I'm not. I'm not hiding it. Like I. I think that. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not. I don't. I don't think that. I don't think that. Uh, let's say. You are. I. I. I don't. Well, I, I'm waiting for the apology of that Megan character. Is this where we're headed now? 
Jonathan's like, oh, you know, she doesn't really, she's not really got the prince's ear too much, you know. He's just. What is this? Well, you know, the prince, uh, he's yeah. like mouthing oh, yeah. her social justice rhetoric oh, yeah, now. Yeah, no. Like oh, his wife oh, just watching oh. him. Like you're yeah. saying the right thing, darling. You're saying the right thing, darling. Yeah, he what, also, I think, but he also kind of disavowed yeah. his royalty and stuff. It's weird. Okay. It's, very, it's disturbing stuff. Uh, I mean, I'm not royalist. I'm mostly in the sense that I do believe that there has to be someone, there has to be someone who transcends the, the multiple identities. And so that's the thing about, a, that's the kind of the thing about the notion of a king is that he's not one of the, the king is always a, he's always like a, mm. a synthesis of all the people. Like he's, the king is never one of the ethnic groups in his kingdom. Right. Because because of all the alliances that the powers had to make to even for the king to be there, he's always like he's not he's kind of above the 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 fray in a sense. And so, you know, there are a lot of countries today, I would say I would say even even England itself only exists because of royalty, because would you think the Scots and the Irish and the English haven't have enough in common to keep them together if Mm -hmm. If there's nothing, there's not even a symbolic thing above it, above above their identities, kind of, rep, you know, holding them together. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I Look mean, at Paul. Paul's like Jonathan is really. This is fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, but that, but you know, this is he's right in that. Uh, you know what happened? What happened in the United States is that okay, no more king. Well, what do we have instead of the king? The the president. The military all pledge their loyalty to the, the Constitution. Constitution. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we have this we have this set of ideas and these practices that function in place of the king. That's deeply Protestant, and 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 you have to remember that the United States, the 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 Southern states, Virginia, these were all settled by economic opportunists and basically colonial drug dealers. Uh, tobacco was the most popular drug of the world. Yeah. But the northern United States above the Mason-Dixon line, these were all these were all Protestant separatists who fled to this new land to get away from monarchies. And so this was all played, you know, this this huh. stuff moves very slowly through time. And and we we're so used to these little you know, we think if something takes 10 years, it takes forever. But these things take hundreds of years to unfold. Yeah. So Jonathan's point, I think, is, you know, we're still working through the Protestant Reformation and the American and French revolutions. We really are. Yeah. And the thing about the United States is, I this is going to be controversial when I say it to you guys, so get ready, uh, <laughs> is that is that I don't think that, that the United States is united under its constitution. I think that the United States is united under a story that it has for itself. And that's why as mm. the story the American dream part. Yeah, the American well the, just the idea of the colonies and the and the revolution and the freedom and then the civil war is still is also a story that is really try like they really try to create and they're trying to break down whoever resists like the the, the the story of the civil war they they try to get get rid of that so you have one story so we have we have one story of the of the the, the American Revolution the civil war and everything that is what is holding America together but at in time especially as you grow and you have you also have a bunch of people that come in that aren't part of that story that 
don't feel like it's their story, at some point, it's inevitable also you're going to have, and also those that were marginalized out of that story from the beginning, which is the secret sin of the United States that I talked about. Like mm-hmm. the slavery in the United States is the secret sin of the founding, which is that here we say equality and freedom, yeah. and we're also not doing it, you know. And so as that as the system breaks down, the nakedness of, of Noah starts to appear, and then it's it's not the constitution is not gonna hold not gonna hold the country together. Sorry, guys. Hmm. <laughs> well, we're more personal. Kings, you just kill them. I mean, yeah, that's, right. the that's how you process that. <laughs> we killed the king. Well, that's exactly yeah. what they do. Charles, yeah. you know, Louis. That's that's how you have the revolution. You kill the king, and then you well, know, you it, Napoleon. But, but closer to the way that you try to to analyze things, though, is that the world is more personal. Yes, it's more it, it's more personal and story and person driven than it is idea and let's say uh, principle driven. And mm-hmm. we we see the principles have to be embodied in people and in stories for us to feel to feel uh, attracted to them. Mm-hmm. It can't just be you know generic. And and that's why Obama was so beloved by the left because in his story, he Obama. And Michelle, you know, Barack and Michelle really became royalty to the left in the United States. I mean, so much so. Trump has some of that, but, hmm. you know, but his, his base is smaller. Yeah. Hmm. No, for sure. That For sure, the Obamas did manifest a story. Like, they manifested the, the Civil War, Civil Rights story in their persons and also in... I mean, I think Obama was also in his demeanor. He he was able to kind of to embody the story in a way that was extremely soothing and elegant. And so it also made it like a success story. It was like, you know, he wasn't, you know, if Obama had been abrasive, let's say, like Donald Trump, I don't think it would have worked as well, you know, um, because he was so good at speaking and he was, you know, he was witty and in a in a very kind of suave way that helped for sure to kind of embody that story of success yeah. of of the story of the United States but it's it's just crazy that from like from that that time to now it's it's like just like complete and then all of a sudden the whole system is broken and the you know systemic racism everywhere and everything is Wow. Well, that that is one of the appeals of the systemic racism narrative that took over because it, it mirrors very closely the reality, but it, it's divorced from reality. And by what I'm talking about is that this invisible virus comes through and is lurking everywhere and we all have to hide from it. And we all get we all get obsessed with this narrative, like the, there's this invisible force that's eating us alive. And then when that when that dam breaks and the energy has to go out, it finds a similar narrative in terms of the systemic invisible force of whiteness, which is basically this bacteria that just infests. No, they even one one CNN commenter called it a mind virus. You know, it's like white people just have this racist virus that's going to be in, enacted at any moment. And they're going to call you on the phone. So in in a way, these narratives are, I don't know what they, 
the powers and the principalities are one thing, but I don't have like a I don't have a story for what a story is, right? I don't know how to conceptualize like what what is it that a narrative is and how it functions. And with regards to when you brought up the first the First Amendment, let's say that that's a that is where we're unified. It doesn't really hold water as as a point of unity, right? Um, and you see that in the working out of this kind of debate between free speech and cancel culture. There's something missing in that debate. There's all these elite literati like working through this story, but there's all these instances of people getting shut down across yeah. the country. But there's no, there's nothing. Uh, the the values are somehow removed. It's this, uh, like you said, there's this, there's there's not that gel, that that narrative gel that like allows us to know what we're actually talking about in a way. Yeah. Well, the, I think that the way that there, there could, I think really do believe there could be a way to, to have an integrated story, um, but it might be too late. I think there could be a way to have an integrated story, which unites the light and dark sides of the American story. It doesn't try to hide the mm. dark sides, mm-hmm. um, but doesn't, also see either either one as needing to eliminate the other in order for the story to exist and that's what i that's why i mentioned that epic storytelling tends to do that but i don't know i don't know who can do that and i don't know if it's possible anymore it might be too late well i I think these stories emerge so the the story that Mm -hmm. was david brooks a couple of years ago made this comment that you know the story is breaking down this was a story that so i'm in my mid-50s this was a story that was commonly told in the late 60s early 70s back in the 50s of what america was who it was why we were the good guys so on and so forth and it's quite clear that okay that story is breaking down but these communal stories emerge Mm. and and that's why you know, when when people sort of I remember when Barack Obama spoke at the 2004 Democratic Convention, that speech was like, wow, suddenly you saw the king and hmm. you, you know, and his story. And, you know, he had a white mother, an African father, you know, and, and he just embodied it. And so. The question will be: Will will a will a new story emerge? That I think Jonathan, when Jonathan mentioned that on the Stoa conversation about the nakedness of of Noah, I thought that was just bang. That's it's, it's, it's dead on right. That's dead on right. And hmm. and there's there's going. I mean, because when you're reading through the Book of Genesis and you, you're reading, and there's Noah, and then there's this weird story about his drunkenness and and his and and the curse, and it's like. What's happening here? Yeah, but I think Jonathan sort of you know puts it exactly right there. So I, the hmm. question will be, will a new story emerge? Will a leader? And and I think everybody understands Joe Biden is a is an older story, but it's an older story trying to buffer the Trump story. And um, mm-hmm. but we we don't know. I mean, because and this is this is why. You know, this is why systems have agency and stories have agency. And these are principalities and powers. And this is this is the level at which things are working. And we participate in them. But um, this again. But again, you go back to the Apostle Paul. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But someone. So Christ, uh, 
the question I think we have here with respect to Christianity is, did Christ actually conquer the principalities and powers? And so when I look at Jonathan Peugeot's, let's say just use your last name, there you are. Uh, when I look at Jonathan's kind of cyclical, Chesterton makes almost the exact same point in the last chapter of The Everlasting Man, the, you know, the seven deaths of Christianity. I... I don't think there is an. I think the reason Christianity is so enduring and keeps coming back is there isn't a better story that actually manages all of these parts. And hmm. I at least hope that we w this this is what we will find again. Yeah. That at some point those who say no, it's patriarchy, no, it's race, no, it's gender normativity. At some point, the people will begin to say. Well, guess what? I'm Jew and Dutch, and I took that 23andMe test, and I've got African and Asian, and, and, and genetics doesn't really do it. And gender, well, my mother's a woman, and my father's a male, yeah. so, you know, and, and we begin to realize that the cross, I mean, this whole story is a story that actually can work for us and and you can build a society on that story. But what Jonathan's video about Kanye just made me see was, <laughs> no, I'm serious, man. I'm serious. It's, but the problem is, can you bring God back into the conversation yeah. in a way that doesn't look cringy? Oh, okay. Well, I think that, I think that Kanye is doing it in a way that looks crazy. I don't know if he's cringy. So you just bypass the cringe. You just go cringy. That's the power of it. Is Kanye West capable of cringe? Really? I don't think he is. I think he. I think he. He's capable of wild, like wild energy. Uh, I think that someone who defines the culture as much as he does is. I don't know if if, if whatever he does is if it looks like cringe, it's not going to be because it, he has mm. so much influence. Um, I think that he's really. I think that Kanye is playing a role in this, and I. And and I really appreciate the way that he's able to kind of just say things in a wild, just this wild manner and just say things that no one's allowed to say. And and uh, and he's still doing it and he's still saying it. Um, and I do think that hmm. to Paul's point, I do think that we're going to see and we're already seeing uh, a flame, a new flame of of Christianity being lit. I do think that's happening now, whether or not that's going to be a kind of remainder or you know, a, or if it's going to be an actual force to, I don't know. I don't know. You know, let's say the best case scenario. Yes. And then worst case scenario is an, is an arc oh. is build an arc. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, Benjamin, your point earlier about, do you have to go through Antifa? Yeah. I think that's true because when you get to the point that, okay, you've won, but now you have blood on your hands. Yeah. Now you see yourself both as victim and tyrant. Yeah. What do I do? And I think it's at that point where you're the centurion looking up and saying, surely this man was the son of God. Hmm. But, but I think right now, the concept of son of God is so... Hmm out of reach for us that we don't know what God means yeah. and we don't know how sonship functions within that yeah. story. There's this, um, 
series of events in Olympia. I, I'm just outside of Olympia, Washington. And the when the protests kind of were first going on, that the mayor bowed to the protesters. She bowed with them, but it was very evident that she was bowing to them. Uh, they kind of bowed with her. She she had the one of the interim police chiefs bow with her. You know, she tried to get the cops to bow with her. And then a couple weeks later, uh, the protesters came to her house. And even though she has the Black Lives Matter poster in her window they still spray painted black lives matter on her house right and then she calls them domestic terrorists and then she gets uh piled on by the i'm sorry to use this phrase the karens come to the city council meeting and just scream about how this is the age of trump and you're you know taking these protesters you know but at that that beginning of that series of events she's giving a speech to the protesters right before she bows to them and she says we're on stolen land it's time for the white people to give back so there there is no there's no commonality there there's just there's a collapse there's a collapse beginning with the leadership and you see this at the evergreen state college where you have the the rising tide of the protesters and then george bridges just like oh i'll i'll do whatever you want and like he just squirms around and puts his uh, the president puts his hands in his pocket you know and and there's this absence of of fatherhood of 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 that upright pillar you know, and and therefore there's nothing. There's no the, the whole system just breaks down into mush. Well, what what sacrifice is big enough to to propitiate mm. the sins yeah. of 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 the colonization of racism? What sacrifice is big enough? I mean, reparations, how much money? Yeah, well, you know, it's not enough. I mean, they, like, they want moral reparations, too. They want reparations on every given level. They want you to say the right thing, post the right picture, give the right money. And, and so there is no limit. So where can you find an infinite sacrifice to give? Hmm. I think we're back at Christianity. Back in Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know any other way out of this. I don't know any other way out of it either, Paul. I'm, I I believe the same thing as you. Maybe I just have I just have less hope in seeing it actually. Hmm. Right now, at least, I, I I I'm not sure how it's going to play out. But uh, but I, I of course I agree that that's it. Like the ultimate scapegoat, the final scapegoat, the final. Hmm. That's that's the story of Christianity. And that's what it's supposed to be, at least. How how did it end? Can you guys r- refresh me? Um, like the apocalypse happens. What what happens at the end? You know, so the end of the world, you get through it, and there's this beatific vision, right? Like wh- what was the what the was holy the holy city, the, the 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 Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem coming down, and death is destroyed, and the and the the death is thrown into the fire. Would, would that death be that that nakedness? Would that death be that that shame? Or well, for sure, the shame is definitely part of death. That's for sure. Yeah, I think Jonathan Peugeot needs to do his symbolic series on the Book of Revelation. Oh my goodness, can you imagine that? That would be <laughs> that book is like <laughs> it's a little trippy. I have to say, it's, it is really, really <laughs> difficult. It's so difficult because there, it's, it really is a synthesis of everything, and so it's very difficult to uh, to talk about. Yeah. Hmm. Talk about hints of it, but the whole thing. But this, but we are, we are, we often reach this point of apocalypse, and there are all these resets within the story. Yeah. You know, the day of the Lord, you, you first meet the day of the Lord in the book of Joel, 
And if you look at the book of Joel, are they talking about chariot riders or are they talking about locusts? And again, in sort of a modernistic frame, we want to sort of choose and say, well, it's definitely locusts or it's definitely warring chariot riders. But no, it's it's the pattern laying itself out. And so the day of the Lord is apocalypse, which is revelation. Now, is this the final one or will we go now into a new cycle? But again, these are cycles within cycles because the long cycles are, again, we're still working through the Protestant Reformation in many ways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, crisis, <laughs> crisis has like a turn thing to it, right? Like there's that, yep. that revolution. Revolution. Which is why, and I think, Jonathan, you said it, Kanye can't be cringy. But if, if Dennis Prager says the nation <laughs> oh, should man. turn to God, <laughs> yeah. we all cringe. Yeah, but we don't when Kanye says it. Why? It has to do because he's a because of his because he's a he's a fool character because he's a hmm. you know because of because he doesn't wear a tie and a suit and he doesn't represent the system. He's a he's a marginal figure. He's a wild card, and so when he says it, it can't it can't be cringy. Hmm. Hmm. But how marginal is he? He's a multimillionaire. He's married now. to. Billionaire. He's married to the queen of. Yeah. You know, what is Kim Kardashian? Yeah, influencer. Influencer uh, culture. Yeah. yeah. But he's definitely. He's huh. definitely has. He's definitely embodies the fool aesthetic completely. You know what is his first album? He's he's wearing a big teddy bear suit. You see the the, the cover of his first album. Hmm. But um, is that intentional or is that just random uh, association? Do you think? Well, Random association is part of the foolish behavior. It's, <laughs> that's what random association is. It's part of just, it's part of meaning breaking down. When you have random things and you associate them together, that's what break down a meaning. We're so used to it because all our rock uh, bands try to do it, and all yeah. you know, all of entertainment culture tries to do it. All the edgy entertainment culture tries to have these kind of chaotic associations, but that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And so when someone who's in that world of chaotic association then turns and says, we need to unify okay. under God. It's like what, that's when the flip, that's this 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 flip that I talk about. Huh, like a uh, Dada uh, baptism kind of thing. Like this guy just emerges. <laughs> Maybe from... something like that. So out I've got Dada. a question. For, yeah, out of Dada. I've got a question for both of you. Why, so Kanye announces this, and then Brett Weinstein is like, call me. And I'm thinking, I've been watching Brett's, you know, Unity 2020, and it's like, Kanye is yeah. your answer? But I think it's because he didn't see the God part of that tweet. Oh. <laughs> I think he just saw the Unity part. He just saw that he said we need to unify, and he was like, yeah, that's what we need, we need to unify, but I think he, he, maybe, hmm. he maybe had a blind uh, spot on the God part. <laughs> <laughs> Someday think. I'm gonna have you guys. Someday I'm gonna have you and and, and Weinstein uh, talk. I don't think it can happen anymore. It's been too long. Yeah, uh, but that'd be great. I would love to. I tried to get Rebel Wisdom to organize it, but they're. Mm-hmm. I kind of know that it's like it's probably past its time now. Yeah, yeah. I well, wish it would happen because yeah. at that point Jonathan made that needed to be answered. Huh. It'd be great. Well, you, I, I'm gonna let you guys go. This is a great little morning, uh, like kind of a, like a Bible study kind of thing. I guess <laughs> I have a headache. I think we we went through like so much. It, it's so hard to talk about this stuff because 
it really veers on all kinds of problems. So it's a good headache, though. It's like a headache, like, okay, I need to say the right thing and not say something so utterly stupid that I'm going to <laughs> damn myself forever, you know? Well, what yeah. a friend we have in Jesus, oh, right? You're right. Oh, man. <laughs> Oh, mercy. Oh, my. <laughs> it was really great to talk to you guys. I really yeah. always enjoy connecting. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, uh, yeah, we'll figure out what to do with the recording, and uh, I'll get that to you guys later today. You guys All right. You want. All right, Paul. All right, Paul, it's good to talk to you, too. Great to see you, Bo. All right, bye, everybody. Have a good night, bye. or bye. day. Bye. <laughs> bye. Bye. Congratulations for reaching the end of the podcast. If you enjoyed this product, consider donating to this channel via paypal.me slash Benjamin Boyce or joining me on Patreon. Also follow me on Twitter at Benjamin A. Boyce. Have a good night.